Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. It has been such an exciting restart to the professional tennis world. I mean, really, since play resumed in August, we've had World Team Tennis, followed by a Western and Southern U.S. Open back-to-back duo in New York. Of course, from there, we transitioned immediately to the clay court season where we got some outstanding tennis in Rome, in Paris, and of course, across the tennis world. And It's not just the headline events, challenger tennis, ITF events resuming as well, producing some fantastic results. The rise of Carlos Alcaraz on the challenger tour certainly will be one of the storylines when we look back on this 2020 season in 5, 10, 15 years from now. But of course, there's still a little bit of action to finish up. We've got about four weeks left of play, a few more ATP events than WTA scheduled, but of course, so many stories. Storylines to monitor across the professional tennis world, college and junior tennis worlds as well, to help you all navigate the rigorous and difficult pathway that is following professional tennis. I brought on one of our Crack Rackets returning champions, a writer for the New York Times and many other tennis entities. Of course, one of our returning champions here on our Crack Racket show uh, shows. Ben Rothenberg joins this podcast today to talk about the top storylines remaining through the home stretch of this 2020 season, of course. Some of those storylines just so intertwined with some of the storylines we'll all be monitoring heading into 2021 as well. And those are the things we talk about. And, you know, it's not the most tennis-centric podcast in the sense of we're not breaking down forehands, backhands, match results. But we are talking about the larger trends that are confronting, you know, the professional tennis world, whether it be the obvious uh, politics of ATP Player Council, PTPA drama, uh, how that will impact the negotiations. Negotiations going on at the ATP level. Andrea Gaudenzi, of course, announcing the new strategic plan for the ATP. We talk about some of the details of that plan, you know, their potential implications. And then, of course, we talk about the feasibility of having tennis in 2021, where it will be, what it will look like, that and so much more. It's such an enjoyable conversation. Anytime we get Ben on the show, obviously, he and I are always going to have fun together. And so, really look forward to all of you listeners hearing this podcast. Of course, the reason we are able to have conversations like this here on the Great Shot Podcast because of the support we get from our wonderful sponsors over at DraftKings and of course so many of you listeners used to seeing our GSP Ace of the Day segments pop up on your GSP feed day in day out of course we've got our picks for Tuesday's matches a couple of parlays for you that I think all of you will enjoy but if for some reason you are not already getting in with on the action with our friends at DraftKings here's how you can you're going to go to DraftKings 
DraftKings.com, create your sportsbook account, and make a deposit. From there, DraftKings will match your first deposit at 20% up to $500. After that, you make your first bet. And DraftKings will also match that with a risk-free first bet up to $500. Just go to dkng.co slash crack to open to play. That's dkng.co slash crack to open. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER in Illinois, New Jersey, West Virginia, or Pennsylvania, 1-800-9-WITH-IT-IN-INDIANA, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, or 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. You must be 21 years or older and in a participating state to take advantage of this offer. Offer not valid for users physically located in New Hampshire. Deposit bonuses in DK dollars, which have no cash value and must be used on DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for more details. All right. With that in mind, let's get to my conversation, breaking down the top remaining storylines of this 2020 season with the one and only Ben Rothenberg. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Joining us on the podcast once again today, of course, a returning champion here on our Crack Racket shows. But of course, you may also know him as the head of the best of three bandwagon, the king of precision when it comes to Eurovision. Ben Rothenberg joining us on the show once again. Ben, hey, great shot to you. How are you doing? Eurovision precision. I like that. I feel like Eurovision actually is a very precise thing in its in its own ways. You rehearse a lot to get those three minutes as great as and appealing as possible i'm doing wonderful thank you for thank you for having me alex oh it is my pleasure i am gonna say you know i was thinking all right what little rhyme can i go with and i was gonna say do i call him the urologist of eurovision i was like that kind of works i was like wait no no no. let's go with the vision side not the euro side and so i had to make a quick audible there nevertheless it is always great to see your smiling face and fortunately for us we get to do this over skype so uh you know of course that's an added benefit here but a lot has happened since we last spoke and of course i was fortunate enough to get to go on the no challenges remaining podcast during both the U.S. Open and French Opens, Mm -hmm. uh, hopefully, and I'm sure our Crack Rackets fans are listening to your show, but I haven't gotten to speak with you on a show since that we had this result come to us, so I need to know, Iga Sviantec winning the French Open, your reaction to another young name being thrown into the mix? Yeah, I feel like this was a a good week for, like, tennis hipsters, because I feel like people who were, like, she's been somebody who was definitely talked about and who was... I had not had a lot of chances for people to get to like see her or be impressed by her because I think her previous high-profile match was getting smoked by Halep last year at the French Open, honestly. Mm-hmm. So in terms of uh, people, I know Courtney's been on the Schwantek bandwagon loudly for a long time. I sort of draft off that a bit. I will take some partial credit for that. Uh, yeah, but it was a uh, it was a good win again. I feel like so much of WTA in terms of these new star- stars emerging, they're judged more for how they follow up their slam than by winning up winning the slam because so many people have gotten the first slam lately uh but i think it's a it's a good place to be and good for poland that's a pretty that's a market that's big and and ready for a for a 
Slam Champ hadn't had one before, so I think that's uh, pretty clutch. So yeah, I think it's I think it's overall a positive win, and I think I think her game and her youth and everything, she seems like a pretty high percentage player and a, therefore a high percentage prospect. I would think too. Yeah, it's just how easy she made it look. So many different elements of her game she could turn to, whether it's the power, whether it's the fact that she seems so comfortable moving forward. Of course, she was a semifinalist, I believe, in doubles as well, mm-hmm. and she's someone who made three Junior Slam finals during the course of her career. I will say personally, as one of the last five Prince Racket users in the country, probably in the world, alongside of Iga Shviantek, uh it was delightful to see the Prince back in action on court, and of course for Iga, I'm I mean, it's impossible not to just see how easy she made everything look. Again, that's what I keep coming back to. She just, you know, after beating Halp, you're like, okay, will there be any sort of letdown in her level? Will that be the peak performance? And from there, it's just trying to survive the rest of her matches. But just the way she beat Sophia Kennan, who can throw so many different looks at you. And just there were times when Kennan seemed helpless and it just seemed impossible to hit Sviantek off the court. And, you know, I watched a bunch of Sviantek. I've been on the bandwagon, as you mentioned. I like to think of myself as a tennis hipster. This has been a great time for us. And for sure. Courtney, we have that. Like another thing we have in common, in case you listen to this, Iga Shviantek fandom, just throwing that out there. Um, but, you know, one thing that's just I, – I watched her play a match. I think it was last year, Rogers Cup against Osaka. Yeah, yeah. And that was a big Osaka – yeah, and that was a 7-6, I think, first set, and then Osaka kind of carried away in the second set. And what Osaka was able to do is just overpower Sviantek, and you see the big forehand, and it definitely gets a little bit loopy. And, you know, there are so many players on tour who do seem to be able to have that firepower to blow opponents away. But unless you have that elite firepower, I, I just the game plan to beating Iga Sviantek is awfully difficult to draw up, assuming she continues to progress in the way she has. And there's just not that many people in women's tennis with the top spin forehand like she has, too. That's a pretty mm-hmm. unique differentiator, and it's a high-percentage shot that I bet we'll see a lot more women adding to their repertoires or young players building into their games. It's certainly a, 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 a useful thing to have that can be very disruptive. But, yeah, like winning your first slam, being unseated, and beating the number one and last year's finalist and the Australian Open champ this year and not losing more than five games in any match. That's that's yeah. that's like it's like an all timer. Like that that was what really made it so undeniable. It wasn't like it was like, well, somebody had to win a slam, you know, and that kinda can you know that could, some people think of the WTA as being random. This felt so earned by her just in terms of what she produced on the court and on the stat sheet and everything like that. I think that it was super, super emphatic. Yeah, and you mentioned the forehand, the kick serve. I mean, Sophia Kennan was taking balls at her head. I mean, that ball just flew up on these clay courts. And, you know, again, I say you have the precision of the Eurovision. I like to think I have the precision of comparing ground stroke vision. Uh, The Kyle Edmund forehand and the Iga Shviantek forehand. They look similar. They produce similar strokes. I love a nice cross-tour comparison. That's the comparison. In terms of just the forehands I see, what do you think? I don't know if you have Kyle Edmund Rolodexed forehands in your brain no, I going can, maybe like I do, but I, I think I saw you made a side by side, right, or like a video clip. I did see you posted yeah. this before. Sure, I, I it doesn't, it doesn't immediately strike me as being obviously wrong. I think they use them in pretty different ways and they build points pretty different ways. But as a stroke, yeah, I, you know the one that I always the one that I said when she first came on tour. I don't know if it still holds up, but I always thought that CC Bellis had a Fanini forehand. Oh, there's there's a, there's, there's, there's a spicy forehand take for you. Okay. I don't know. I, I, mean, I, I, I remember when she first came up, when she was doing her 15, whatever old she was, 14, 15, whatever, at the US Open. Yeah. I remember watching that, like, 
epic second round match against Serena Diaz and being like, she's finneying out here. But I might have just been. Uh, no, there the, there's an element to them in the in the take backs they both have, and the fact that their contact points just sound beautiful. It's just like the way they make contact with the forehand. That's how you're supposed to do it if you are a tennis player. And honestly, the reason I snuck in that Kyle Edmund reference, I really did consider making British tennis one of my five biggest storylines coming into the end of this 2020 season and heading into 2021 because I start to look at them and I'm like, oh, what is the future for British tennis? I don't see the upside. I think there could be a nice or I suppose not a nice dearth, but there could be a dearth of talent coming through the pipelines. It's a concern, as Great Britain is one of the traditional tennis powerhouses anyways. And then I was like, wait, there are so many better things to talk about. And so it may, it was cut. That was a poor segue, as you can I'm glad, tell. I'm glad you cut that. That would, have, I, that would have been a weird pick. But anyway, <laughs> anyway. Well, thank you. No. Uh, anyways, it was cut, but what I want to do today, because that is one of many storylines that could be monitored if you are that sort. Maybe that's a tennis hipster take for a storyline, but it is one of many storylines that could be monitored down the home stretch here of this 2020 season. And of course, some of these storylines very much going to bleed into 2021. So why I wanted to have you on the podcast today, Ben, there was no one I could think of more to help me go through some of these top five storylines, to help me find some spice in between some of the obvious ones we are going to be discussing today. Uh, So with with that in mind, let's just get right into it. I asked you to come up with your top five. I'm sure some of us are going to overlap. Let's go spicy first. Let's have some fun here at the beginning, Ben. Give me your spiciest storyline here down the home stretch. So as you know, my spice, we did a, on when you were on NCR, we, during the French, we did a, the mm-hmm. hot take off um, where we just traded hot takes. And my, my, fa- my final hot take was about Yannick Sinner, um, who... Uh, since we last recorded, uh, beat Sasha Zverev at the French Open uh, to make the quarters there. And the endorsements have been reigning in. Uh, so so my sort of first storyline to look at is how much more rich and resplendent the Bank of Sinner will become during this year. Because since <laughs> because since, since the French Open, he's announced sponsorships with uh, Alfa Romeo. Let me, let, let me back up. He'd already had sponsorships, I believe, with, uh, with Nike head with his racket company he then adds uh i think got rolex at the beginning of the year maybe february mm-hmm. and then he since the french open and then at some point he got something called techno gym which i assume is some sort of like european gym chain with djs i don't really know but it sounds great <laughs> uh and it's then, actually just a quarantine mute soundtrack but go on that'd be fine just some like moody piano <laughs> as you work out this cool whatever <laughs> uh and then we get uh then he gets alfa romeo as, as the car company and then he gets sponsored by Parmesan Reggiano, the cheese. A boy got a cheese sponsor. Like, he's sponsored by an entire type of cheese. Like, Italy is putting a flagship cheese, Parmesan, into Yannick's basket of goods. He also has Lavazza, the, the coffee. So he's got cheese. He's got coffee. I, the ones I want for him for the future, obviously, him being a ginger is very important to me and, and to his appeal. And so I would love for him to get some sort of hair care shampoo sponsor. I think that would be really clutch. I think that's an important marker to break into. Uh, I also think that there's probably room for him to, I don't know, what else, uh, you know, other things. But just seeing people line up behind Sinner and clearly following my advice, I think, on this is nice to see him cashing in after after this run. So that's my, my, my smallest, you know, sort of, I think, question, but the one that delights me the most. Well, uh, one of them delights me too, but the Bank of Sinner question is is an opener for me. 
it's a very good question, right? You have is he with signed with Roger Federer and and the team over there, whatever that agency is. I don't think is. no, I don't I, think so. I forget the name. Team eight. Yeah, no. I, I just yeah, I feel like there's that move in his future. I feel like the burrito pasta. I feel like all of these different things are just the endorsements are all lining up for him. And I mean, why wouldn't they? You look in the rankings right now. He's the highest ranked teenager on tour. He's closer, you know, he's closer and closer to reaching, I believe, uh, the ATP fifty top fifty if he hasn't already. And I mean, the guy's a stud. Yeah, quarterfinals at the French Open took everything in my fiber being not to send some sort of mean tweet after at you after he beats Zverev and be like come on like let's let this one fly because it felt like it was me versus you out there I was like oh I know I'm not going to hear it for the end of it from Ben if uh oh, you barely heard the beginning match. of it yeah yeah. <laughs> exactly. And Sinner now number 46 in the world. So excuse me, he is inside the top 50 in the live rankings. And, you know, we still have four weeks left to go. And uh, there's no reason why a guy like Yannick Sinner, indoor hard courts, we saw what he did at the end of last season. We saw him make, what was it, quarterfinals at a couple of events and then obviously win the year-end uh, next-gen finals. Uh, there's no reason why he can't win a couple of matches. I, I assume he's going to get into the main draw of Paris. Of course, that's a big assumption if they have Paris um, but I think even from a tennis perspective he is absolutely a player to watch because just you watch his game and I forced my little brother to watch Yannick Sinner with me uh, while I was home this past week I was like hey I just want to hear your opinion and Nick's you know take was yeah I don't get why it works but that forehand slap is just huge he's like it's just it just lands in and then everything else in his game is so rock solid so I mean, you, I, it's hard to be anything but excited about Yannick Sinner. No, completely. And obviously, Zverev made him hit so many balls, you know, pusher that he is. Mm-hmm. Just kept balls coming back. And, and Zverev, that's, I was, that's how he's choosing to play right now. It's, it's a choice. It's a, I, I have to respect it. And it, you know, draw him to four tough sets through doing that. And, uh, and, and the technique and everything else from Sinner held up. I mean, he certainly gave Sinner plenty of chances to implode or to start going haywire. And it just didn't really happen. So Sinner was big there for sure you mentioned something about team eight i you know there's plenty of other agencies out there too i think yannick as demonstrated by his portfolio already is doing fine uh i'm not actually i'm not even sure who his agent is uh but whatever he has um it's it's working well for him so uh cheers cheers to to yannick center no, absolutely hope we get the chance to see him play more during this 2020 season, and that's actually a perfect transition into one of my first storylines I want to talk about because, you know, of course, there there's so much changing across the globe uh, on any given day with these coronavirus statistics, with the various health and safety protocols that are put in place in various locations across the globe. Obviously, uh, we saw the issues in the differing guidelines from city to city manifest itself quite boldly in Sam Query's St. Petersburg experience. He tests positive, and obviously, credit to you, uh, you break that story. It's an incredible story. And by the way, it, it proves, you know, even if you're trying to flee Moscow, you can't exp- uh, you can't escape the gaze of Ben Rothenberg, uh, who's going to find you no matter where you are sitting. And, you know, again, hey, great shot to you on that story. But, you know, the question I have moving forward, because obviously uh, there have been events that have been rescheduled and moved to this portion of the year, and 
and they are trying to go full systems go. But, you know, my storyline, how much tennis do you think we're going to get down this home stretch, Ben? We're supposed to have four weeks of ATP Tour events, I believe, maybe five. It's four or five, and then, you know, a couple of WTA events sprinkled in here and there. We've got the events this week uh, in the Czech Republic. I believe we've got an event in Austria uh, in November. But outside of that, everything pretty canceled. Uh, How much tennis do you think we're going to see down this home stretch of 2020? So I was excited for this pick for you because it also is one of mine, which means I get to use one of my alternate picks later on. So basically I had just like, does the tour finish? Basically, like, does the rest of the year happen? And still very much TBD. I mean, I have been, you know, certainly I was reluctant to uh, accept or not accept. That's probably the wrong word. Reluctant to like believe that the U.S. Open was going to happen, right? I kept thinking like mm-hmm. they're preparing, but it could get canceled at any moment. I was obviously packed and had ready to go for my flight the next morning after Indian Wells. I remember how late that got canceled. And that sort of has set kept me a little bit, you know, on edge in terms of tournament cancellations. We haven't seen too many late minute cancellations since then. Last minute, at least. I mean, French Open did have some pretty last minute fan cancellations where they knocked out thousands of fans who were lined up to come pretty late. And I think even um, some of these events happening in the remainder of this fall are having late fan removals and stuff. So I I don't know. I'm not, again, you probably know my ambivalence on this. I'm not sure tennis should be happening in these places right now. I mean, look, you mentioned Czech Republic, and I think there's the men are in Antwerp this week is one of their events. And both Belgium and Czech Republic are you know, having spikes of COVID right now and having some of their worst numbers they've ever had. And so is it a time to be traipsing around having a tennis tour during this time? I don't, I don't really uh, think so in a lot of ways. And I don't know, I think it's an easy thing for a local government to want to just like to nix, like with all the things we have going on right now, straining our resources, why are we having a tennis tournament? It just, it just could feel very, very discordant. So, but that's going to, again, as we've seen, from different places it's going to be a very piece-by-piece situation i don't think we're going to get a situation where the atb tour unless things are really turning much worse in europe and everything is in europe from this point on pretty much so uh unless things go really bad they're not going to be like blanket cancel everything but i think we could see at least one or two of these events remaining drop off and and local body of some kind uh, stepping in to cancel it yeah, and I believe we've heard already to follow up. I think it was the Paris Masters event. They said that's going to be no fans moving forward. Uh, obviously, in Cologne, they made adjustments as the event has gone on, and yeah. they've done that in various other locations as well. And, you know, again, uh, I talked about this in the immediacy of when it happened. I'm, I imagine you feel—I don't want to—actually, I'm not going to speak for you. You can say how you feel. Um, but— Sam Query fleeing St. Petersburg, getting his family out of there, being wanting to be in a comfort comfortable location while they're dealing with COVID-19. I think all of us can ex- understand that inclination. You know what sucks for every ATP tournament event? To have to try and justify to the local and the city and health officials like, no, we promise that's not going to happen this week. We promise if a player tests positive, he's not going to flee. We're not going to have an international incident on our hands because you've been willing to allow us to host this tennis tournament and you just have to wonder. Like, again, I think it really helps to have these back-to-back events in the same location. Like, if they could do every event like they are in Cologne, why not do that? Why not just have these same 
pool of players or, you know, Shapovalov flies in from a different event and obviously you're trying to limit as many people who are entering the bubble as possible, but why not host them in back-to-back locations? Give these players opportunities to stay comfortable, create bubbles like we did in New York, and yeah. it's just not feasible with the financial models of the ATP and WTA tours. No, I've said this the whole time, pretty much. The idea of a traveling tour where you pick up week by week and are playing single elimination events is so it's stupid nuts. during a pandemic. It's so nuts. And so this, yeah, they haven't adjusted. And they had so much time for the European indoor event to have consolidated, swing to have consolidated. They could have had it all in one place. Let's name a place like Vienna, right? Vienna, there's no reason Vienna, just as a venue, which has hosted Eurovision, by the way, 2015, hosted in the same uh, Wiener Stadthal, I believe it's called, as the tournament is hosted in, uh, has, after Conchita Verse won 2014, and yeah, anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, actually, 2015, Eurovision contestant Polina Gagarina was uh, the performer in the uh, mm-hmm. after show of the uh, St. Peter's for a trophy ceremony, the concert they have between the end of the match and the trophy ceremony, which is a runner-up two-time born in church, I'm sure just loves. But, uh, so, <laughs> sorry, what was I saying here? Get distracted by Eurovision. All right, so, yes, yeah. having things in one place, there's no reason why every event left in the fall calendar couldn't have been played, and I'm just picking a city, Vienna, right? Like, you can put side-by-side courts there, have everybody decamp into certain hotels, and if you're not having fans or not having full fans even, because indoors you really shouldn't be having many fans at all, why not just do what they did in the U.S. or whatever, get some LED screens and change the backdrops? Honestly, you could even alternate. You could have, like, one match be Cologne and then switch the, you know, hit the button and change it so it becomes the backdrop for, uh, you know, St. Petersburg for the next round or whatever. Just consolidate them into, into fewer events. The tennis did not do this is a tremendous testament to tennis's disorganization and, and competing interests and... and yeah, it, it's it's really bad that they didn't get a way to do this more to radically transform things. And these are things that will be coming up. I'm sure we're going to talk about 2021, but these are future questions mm-hmm. for 2021. Can we get our shit together as a sport for that? Yeah, all of these storylines absolutely start to leak into one another because, uh, as you mentioned, uh, we can get to the next storyline now. Uh, will there be an Australian Open in 2021? We saw earlier this week uh, the Australian Open for golf canceled for 2021. And, of course, Craig Tilley uh, has been quite uh, vocal about the fact he intends on hosting this Australian Open. He is hoping to have a first month of the season where all of these players are in Australia playing events. They can keep everyone in one location, uh, try and create, as you mentioned, this sort of regional tour. And by the way, we're talking about the ATP and WTA tours right now. It is worth noting there are still events going on across the globe at the ITF level. There are challenger level matches also starting to, uh, challenger tournaments, excuse me, uh, week in, week out now, one, sometimes two, and we've seen a couple of them back-to-back in Italy at the same location. By the way, the Challenger Tour are easily able to adopt that. It's just that that does feel like it's uh, a big storyline for us moving into 2021, and especially, you know, for all of these players, December is traditionally the off-season. Now, a bunch of them go to Monaco, and honestly, if the Tour was based in Monaco for January and February, that'd probably be the easiest thing for everyone, but, you know, are these players going to be willing to sacrifice their off seasons go to australia early and meet all the various safety and health protocols that will be expected of them to be able to participate in the early portions of a 2021 season that's a huge storyline like the uh, respectfully and this is both men and women i use this term for the amount of we're going to be hearing from players over the next two months is going to be just incredible 
unisex <laughs> will occur. Yes, you're right. I do think I, I did. This is a big story. And I do think it's also, again, not in the controls of tennis players. Yes. Will tennis players be willing to come down two weeks earlier? Well, two weeks ahead of their first tournament, whatever that is. And a lot of them do come to Australia, you know, six days early, generally to adjust the big time change and stuff before they play Brisbane or whatever, or at least, at least, you know, four days, or if one of the ones they get to early, because they know it's a big trip and acclimate to the heat from usually they're in some much cooler place or practicing indoors, or whatever it is. So they do that a bit. So that'd be one factor, but the bigger factor I think is going to be just how uh, the Australian government handles things, right? Because Australia has been one of the toughest, tightest uh, countries in terms of handling the pandemic. And as a result, they've had incredibly few cases like Victoria, where the Australian Open is, was having what they considered spikes in July. They were made them like a sort of national disgrace in their eyes that everyone else had it together and Victoria was having problems. The bad days in Victoria were nowhere near as bad as the good days in most American states of comparable population, right? I mean, they have a population, I think, of like 6 million, which is about the same as Missouri for American listeners. And the Missouri numbers are always like four times higher than... And Missouri is not even one of like the big like real hotspot states we talk about mm-hmm. in in the U.S. and COVID. So, um, do you want to risk your great, um, or do you want to bend some of your rules to in terms of? Because they also have bans in Australia on interstate travel, but traveling between states. So like, they might have to have the Brisbane event in the same state now as uh, which is in Queensland. Uh, as mm-hmm. in as in Melbourne, which is Victoria, which is the Australian Open, and then Adelaide also is in South Australia, is another state, and the ATP Cup event, which which it was through. That feels like mm-hmm. a long time ago, by the way. That ATP Cup, that feels like another <laughs> lifetime, even though that was this year. Um, the ATP Cup this past year was held in Perth, and which is in West Australia, Western Australia, and then Queensland for Brisbane, and then New South Wales for Sydney. So I mean, there's a lot of different stuff that have to get shifted around, and I think it's just really a question of what they're federal government would decide i don't read too much or i i take you know not just a grain of salt but several shakers of salt with everything craig tidley says in terms of being like where well, it's definitely going to happen he's always talked at a consistently very optimistic selling game because he has tickets to sell and everything and he has to drum up interest in this yeah. tournament by making it seem like it's going to happen but you know he's done this with several players who he said oh they're definitely coming whether it's andy murray or you know serena after the baby and they didn't show up so i i, I want to flag him as being someone to, to take in coming months with a grain of salt or several um at least like at least like a doritos bag worth of salt probably and then um (laughs) yeah and then and then i don't know and then if not like does something this is more of a general 2021 question but like do they come up with something that makes it that actually meaningfully adjusts the tour to our current realities in terms of even if it is australia having all the warm-up events and atp cup all take place at melbourne park right in the grounds of the Australian Open. There's no reason why you can't do that. Like, just zero reason why you can't do that um, if you're not having fans. Although, I mean, maybe Brisbane, which I think Brisbane and Queensland are doing really well with their with their COVID stuff. Maybe they really want something. It'd be tough. But or, And can they get a waiver on interstate travel? You know, but, like, Ash Barty couldn't get a waiver for her coach to even travel just by himself from Victoria to uh, mm-hmm. to Queensland to train with her. And that's part of why she said she didn't play the French Open because he was, she wasn't able to be with her coach during this whole time. So mm-hmm. anyway, that's that's uh, there's a lot of a lot of stuff, a lot of balls in the air with uh, with ATP Cup and uh, and AO and everything and just and just 2021 in general and how and how normal how normal the future looks like Indian Wells coming around Indian Wells Miami are not that far away now. There's only what like five months to go. 
Yeah. Until we, until we hit a full lap of pandemic tour, and then will Indian Wells play without fans? Maybe. At, well, but we, we just don't know what the world will look like. We don't know what in the U.S. politically things might be different uh, in twenty twenty one potentially, and how that could change things in terms in terms of yeah, in many directions. So we'll we'll have to wait and yeah. see. And we're definitely going to talk about player council politics, the ATP business strategy, how these tournaments have been affected, because that's on my storyline list. I imagine it is on yours as well. But just to inject, I, I, I suppose this is a little bit of reporting. And, you know, you talk to players. I talk to players respectfully. There, You probably talk to players that are slightly more notable. But you talk to the players who are ranked outside the top 100 players who are either playing challengers right now or are getting pretty close to where they would definitely get into Grand Slam qualifying or, you know, if enough people pull out, they would just get into the Grand Slam themselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, They want to play. They're ready to play. Now that tennis is back, they are not looking for it to be shut down ever again. And, of course, they have incentive because they want to make money. They're professionals. They want to go work day in, day out, and, you know, have a livelihood that they can turn to. But I just don't know how you put the pin back in the bottle. So you start – or pin back in whatever, the grenade, whatever you want to – whatever metaphor you want to use here. And, you know, you started to give percentage-wise. You know, there's the event in Vienna that starts next week. I think that event is going to happen for sure. I think barring – see, Paris is the one that I am the think has the greatest possible chance of being canceled on the schedule. I think Sofia probably ends up happening. I think the uh, the Nitto ATP Finals, way too much money at stake for that event not to happen. It's a small enough environment that I think it definitely goes on. But now once you start to turn towards January, I mean— It'll be all or nothing, right? I feel like they either have all of those events in Australia or they're all canceled. I feel like the government, it's going to be, you know, one response or the other. And so, I mean, is it a coin flip? I know the players seem to want it. Craig Tiley obviously seems to want it. It's impossible for us to speculate. I don't know if you have good sources in Australian Parliament. I certainly do not have as good of sources as I would like. Uh, It comes down to whether the government says yes or no, and I really think it's probably 75-25. Yes, the events do end up happening in January 2021. I think that's probably fair. We should point out also Auckland is already canceled uh, for 2021. Auckland, a a, a standard warm-up event in New Zealand, which has had – uh, some of the most success anywhere in terms of keeping virus contagiousness down and has put up very hard travel walls around their country, which I know some people obviously there think are too strict or whatever, but obviously at the same time, they mentioned the politics side again, like Jacinda Ardern just won like you like very big support in her re-election. So people there will see that as also being a validation for, hey, we actually like taking extreme measures if it means that we get to live back, life back to normal minus the international travel part international travel is obviously so so crucial to the tours as we know them and so um yeah i do probably agree with you that i do think in terms of the events that remaining on the in the australian continent it will be all or nothing i would be hard to imagine a scenario where there is you know even like australian open but no atp cup would be hard to imagine i think you're kind of either going to get people down there for the full slate if people are willing to come early um and they don't run out of time in terms of the debates or whatever in terms of when the rules are or what? Uh, but yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I, I will see. I mean, I, mean, I even just for myself, I had to like put myself on a on a list. The potential person traveling to Australia, they had to fill out a form. Like, if there's any odds that you would want to try to come to tra- cover the Australian Open in person, we want you to be on a, a certain list. So I, I filled that out, uh, leaving that option open. I'd be surprised if I'm in Australia. Um, 
which was the last trip I took back in January, February was the last time I was on a plane was coming home from Australia. Uh, so yeah, so it's been a, it's been a while in this, in this new time. And yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm still just like, I've said this, I've been consistent on this, I think at least the whole time. Like, I just do think that the tennis tours, you know, pre-Rona tours as we knew them were just like, are so incompatible with pandemic best practices. Right. And so the more that we can adjust from them or what anything like that, I think is, is really positive. So, so we will. Even something like yeah. to mention twenty twenty one again. Even something like putting Indian Wells in Miami in the same location. Like, why not? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. if there's no fans at either, why the heck not? And even if there's just mm-hmm. like few fans at either, why the heck not? Yeah, and in the United States, the television rights will be owned by the same company, so yeah. you know it's that much easier for them as well. And you know, with that in mind, maybe that opens the door to your next storyline. But that's you know a little sneak peek of something I might bring up a little bit okay. later. But I want to turn to you next, Ben. It's been very well, Gruskin list centric. Give me your next storyline to watch. Look, a Gruskin centric world is is fine by me, but I am I am. I wanted to mention something you mentioned twice already. I didn't have time to segue. One of my remaining storylines is what happens to San Query. Right. Oh, okay. Because yeah, like, will we sure. will we get the San Query punishment in twenty twenty? I think we will. I think we should. I mean, this would be also a question: Does it also linger uh, the way that the stupidly lingering Curios punishment happened last year when he had his meltdown in Cincinnati, uh, and then they didn't announce his punishment until after he'd already played Labor Cup? There's no obvious like conflict of interest of that level <laughs> with with San Query, so. Um, will will they suspend him and for how long because like you said uh he really does you know undermine the credibility of the tour as it tries to be a bargaining partner with these local governments during pandemic time if the local governments have heard of the query story it will be a huge red flag for them that a a player can go rogue like that and disobey local health protocols and yes i am sympathetic to you know him being in a in a tough situation you know being with his wife and eight month old as many people have pointed out i think this is why you don't travel with a a newborn during a pandemic this is, i mean even like uh svetana Parankova, notably you know mom of of her son didn't travel with him to her grand slams and it was tough for her obviously as a mom um but she didn't do that so him bringing them on this travel during pandemic when what happened wasn't that i mean i guess it was just the idea of being hospitalized it spooked him more than anything and by his version of events but yeah, I mean, what what the what how the, how the tours come down on San Query if it is some sort of big ban? We know that the tours are are really weak on discipline as a rule. Like they do not punish their own. The hand, there's been like very few severe punishments ever been handed out by the tour. We're talking like a real one, like a you know like a six month kind of ban for something like this, which a lot of people are saying would be very justified with how very rogue he went. I mean, the fact that he's like somebody who pulled out of his first round match and was the story of the tournament that's that's unprecedented. Didn't even play a match, and he, and he almost got the. And then tournament also, to be clear, I've heard tournament came real close to shutting down. Like after he mm-hmm. after he left, the government was not pleased with ATP uh, and with you know the whole organization, and there were real credible threats to shut down this tournament um, in St. Petersburg that somehow they talked their way out of or negotiated out of, but it almost did derail the entire event. What the, the sort of the, the stunt he pulled, I think, is a fair word to use. Although you know, again, I am sympathetic to not wanting to be separated from your eight-month-old and being put in a Russian hospital system. That can seem certainly scary, especially to Americans and his perceptions of that, um, and just being in a foreign country, all these sorts of things. But uh, it does, it does again show the precariousness of the of traveling every week to a new country during a pandemic. Like, my gosh, like, let's go somewhere 
let's just go one place instead of camp there and have tennis island and have it just be fun and wonderful and change services if you need mm-hmm. to i guess but like just like put it all in one place yeah no i completely agree with you and just a couple of follow-ups because obviously this was in a story unlike anything else yeah. uh like i a player fleeing a tournament for safety and health protocols that's a first in tennis like i promise you you can look through the annals it definitely has not happened before and you know our friend but more mine than yours to miney carriel tweeted out <laughs> what the potential as you mentioned uh implications the potential suspension or fee- fines whatever uh sam query faces uh for this and if it's deemed a major offense it's up to 100k or suspended for the atp for a period up to three years and like you know i think if it's only if it's the full financial fine if it's 100k sam query eats that and he he's happy he gets off you know kind of scot-free there because it's like look i wanted to get out of that situation and for him i know he hasn't made absorbent amounts of money but i'm sure he can eat the 100k and then hopefully make it back over the course of i don't know two three grand slam first round appearances and be just fine oh if he Um, makes he makes third round australia he's already fine i mean that's yeah so that's not much for sam query even who's like you know, mostly been a top 50, top 30 kind of player. Yeah. No, it's pretty yeah. peanuts. And, and then, you know, it's, it's, so then that's part A of the financial implication. Part B would be, again, do you send a message and say, this is unacceptable? Any of you players, you cannot do that. And you almost think you have to, because, and it's so tough because anyone who's gotten the chance to speak with Sam Query, interview him, be around him, you're not going to find a nicer man on the ATP tour. In terms of just good human beings, Sam Query is on the top of that list in terms of tennis players. He just really is just a kind, thoughtful, funny guy. Um, But you can't do this. You just can't. And you know, on top of him doing this, he also recently resigned from the ATP Player Council. He joined the PTPA, so the politics aren't in his favor anyways. I don't know. Like, do we seem Sam Query in Australia in 2021? I don't know. Well, I don't know. Goes, like, this also that's goes to the, the porousness of discipline, right? Because yeah. even if ATP bans him, it's possible that ITF wouldn't, and then he could get to play Australia and Open. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and so who knows? I mean, I, tennis is, like I said, it's a really bad record of actually cracking down meaningfully on any sort of thing. So this, this is something that really did pose something of a mid-pandemic existential threat to this tournament and the tours going forward, if anyone's paying attention. And who knows if they're paying attention or not. Like the same way that I've heard speculation, I think I think actually somewhat backed up that like Mladenovic complaining about the protocols during the US Open, um, which yeah. we just wrote about, and you broke that story, but was... Um, <laughs> was something that got the attention of the Nassau County authorities where the hotel was. Just like seeing the press mm-hmm. reports of her complaints made them step up more and, and try to take Manorino out of the tournament, eventually Mladenovic as well. So, uh, yeah, so it's it's all just, just – I have a transition to the next topic pretty easily off of here. I was just going to say maybe he goes and plays the Behind the Racket Tour was going to be my transition, but let's see what you got for me. Oh, well, if you want to talk about I, I don't know much about Behind the Racket Tour. I no, I, I don't want to talk but... about it. Just too good, too good of a thing. You know, when the joke is in front of you, say it always. But what is your transition? Well, first of all, the BTR Tour, which are my initials. So I, I appreciate that. It's, 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 it's Brandon. Um, is, is it Thomas? Ben Thomas Rothenberg? That's correct. That's correct. Oh, there we go. Good work. Um, I'm not sure how you knew that. A little, little suspicious about just how much digging you've been doing. But uh, no, so you mentioned you mentioned PTBA, and that's my, one of my remaining sort of questions for 2020. Uh, is what more do we learn about PTBA? Does it become clear? 
do we does it does it solidify does it lose steam anything like that because they had a big bang during the opening weekend of the u.s open obviously and then it's been pretty much silent uh there you know not too much obviously everything leaks in men's tennis like crazy you know people have been pretty quiet on my end about ptpa stuff i'm not seeing a lot of action on it certainly i'm not seeing any women saying hey i signed up like they like the men like Djokovic was like oh we got plenty of women i've not heard one woman say anything about being in the ptpa so um We'll uh, we'll see. I think that's just it's just does that fizzle out? Does that continue to be a thing? Query obviously was a segue because Query was a player council member uh, who then uh, uh, signed that signed a letter of support initially. Then within like two days, it left for PTBA and switched sides. So um, yeah, uh, that's just something. And you know, I think you wanted to talk probably about ATP council stuff going forward. They they filled four of the seats uh, that got vacated by the PTBA exodus. So. Kevin Anderson, now president, taking as vice president, uh, line of succession, taking over for Novak Djokovic, and then also uh, Felix Ojeali-Asim and who else? Andy Murray and some. Who was the fourth person who got in? Do you remember off the top of your head? Uh, I do not. I, I do remember Anderson. I remember FAA Murray, and then someone to be named later. I will look that up as we go. But to your point. Yes, I, I think it's a perfect blend between Player Council, PTPA, and the ATP strategic plan that was released at the beginning of August or leaked out at the beginning of August. And a buddy of mine, someone we're going to have on the podcast later this week, Brett McCormick of Sports Business Journal, wrote about that 92-page plan and talked about the four pillars, the things the ATP uh, is planning to build around moving forward. And a lot of it is unity and cohesion. And he says, I think there's a line in the piece, I believe, the need for unity and greater alignment of interests within the sport is addressed 22 times in the first 68 pages. So that is the theme of this new strategic document. It's about aligning media and uh, data rights under the tour's control. It's about a more stable prize money formula moving forward. Again, go read the piece on Sports Business Daily because Brett does a phenomenal job sort of bullet pointing it all out. But, you know, within that piece as well, Brett has a little comment there that Vashik Pospisil and the PTPA, they support this new strategic plan and obviously there's a lot that still needs to go into executing how do you aggregate all these media and data rights how do you get a tournament to give up its piece of the pie for a larger share in total I think that's easy to convince a 250 to do maybe even some struggling 500s but the tournaments who are doing well they're like "Ah, I don't want to give my piece of the pie to anyone else I'm kind of good on my own and so of course the competing entities in tennis has always been one of its biggest difficulties moving uh, you know as just throughout its existence but you know all of these things you you know the these issues were all have always been bubbling on the surface but you know in even if we weren't in the midst of a global pandemic these were all issues that tennis was going to have to confront it's why andrea gaudenzi was brought in as a new president of the atp to come up with this strategic plan this was part of his pitch and you throw in a global pandemic, you throw in these differing competing you know, groups now with the PTPA and the ATP Player Council, and it's just, it's a cluster. That's the best word I can come up with. Yeah, no, completely. And we'll see. I mean, obviously, the, the disorganized, disparate competing nature issues of tennis are as old as the sport itself. I mean, that's never been... Uh, that's not a new phenomenon on any level. It's not clear what fixes there would be to this. PTPA adding another you know, handful of noodles to the alphabet soup. I don't think it's necessarily seen as a fix for anybody either <laughs> per se. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I would like to, what I'd like to see from PTPA, 
if they're serious about going forward, is to is to just get a little bit, just do the basic things that you're involved in doing a startup, right? Or even an, even an insurgent organization. Get, uh, you know, a more unified presence. Get a get a mission statement. Get a, a list of members. Get a uh, a Twitter account or a website or something. Something that just makes it seem like a press release. Anything that's like just organized. 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 Right? For, for something this yeah. whole thing being organizing, and I, I sort of was talking a little bit to Vashik about this offline just saying like you know this is where you guys i think could have done a much better job because everything we're learning about atp and this goes for the tour too but we get so much through leaks like my god this tour leaks like crazy um (laughs) and the wta does not leak like this we should also point out this is a men's tennis issue um so uh yeah it's uh it's a weird time uh it's it's not a confidence inspiring time and i look forward to hearing you with uh with brett i think i'm interested to see what they can do but the the unity stuff I, I, I don't know. I'm not sure that's going to actually – how that actually bears out in terms of practice. I'd be curious yeah. to, see, to see more of that. And that's part of the Phase 2 plan, as Brett points out, that to get the four Grand Slams, the ITF, the WTA, to align with the ATP to try and you know pool their data rights, their media, to get a global share. I think it was like the fourth biggest sport. There's a share, but Tennis Command is just 1.3 of global media rights value, uh, and so it feels like there's a little bit left on the table there. He talks about you know all the Phase 4-1 steady increases in prize money and you know emphasizing premium events, all of these different things. What has continued to be the problem with the ATP Player Council, What, why the PTPA has some standing, I think, and again, this is amongst the players I talk to, most of them competing at the challenger level or working their way up the rankings, they're all about the PTPA. They do not care you know, about this ATP strategic plan, which focuses on what the ATP Tour is doing because they feel like the challengers are left out. And I don't remember if it was Taro Daniel. I think it was him who tweeted out that the ATP Challenger Tour, that being the name is the worst branding probably in the history of sports branding because challenger tour implies that it's minor league tennis that these players aren't competing at the biggest levels they're still challenging and trying to reach that and that just could not be further from the case you see the levels at some of these challengers i mean you know over the past couple of weeks there's been the carlos alcaraz run but we've had guys like yana Kahneman, francis tiafo and you know the list go on and on and on who have had success at the challengers one week made the semifinals or better federico del bonus i think was a good example he did that last week as well uh, in uh, where Sardinia, after he had had success at the challenger level, those sorts of players, or at least the ones I speak to, and again, that's a small sample size of them, they support the PTPA. They think the PTPA has a more tennis, uh, a wider net in terms of what they're focusing on within the sport, and they think the ATP Player Council is open, only focusing on the headline events, the events that affect the players in the top 50 and on. And I mean, that's a perennial fight, but that's where the political divide is. Okay, a bunch of thoughts on that, but my main one, I mean, the Challenger Tour is a minor league. It just definitionally is. Like, they can feel b- about that, but they're not in the big leagues. I mean, it, it, they are on a tour that's for guys fighting for their spots, you know? And if there's a way to brand it in a way that makes it more, you know, I don't know, like, sort of next-genified or make it sound sexier or, or, or more daunting or more impressive, okay, fair, but it is really a... a, a a minor league in tennis it's a smaller ring of events for lower ranked players earning less money it's a definition of a minor league so um mm-hmm. you know if, if and also i think they are probably realizing a lot um and in very stark terms during this time with how much which how with how much slower and thinner the atp 
challenger tour and itf tour and for the women and stuff like that and 125s have to come back that you know they're this is a top-down sport you know and it's gonna like us open didn't have qualies and i think everyone ag- agreed with that decision pretty much for the most part for them not to have qualies uh, as they were struggling to come back so you know i think it's i think we're gonna see a lot of players um and this could be a 2021 storyline but in the lower ranks it'd be happening quietly probably um but a lot of players you know throwing the towel or giving up or saying you know look there's just not the infrastructure for me to continue my tour or my 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 dream of being a tennis player uh with this sport as it currently is maybe i'll have a comeback in a few years if if you know the soil gets more fertile again but it's it's pretty pretty barren ground right now so uh yeah yeah, I think that's going to be something to, to look out for, too. Just that sort of thinning of the crop, which I already thought would be a thing during this year. And I think maybe we'll just take longer to see it. I think there have been a few players who've quietly, I'm sure, hung mm-hmm. up their rackets or at least paused their careers. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. And I can already hear the tweet being typed out. So just to clarify, that is not a scenario either of us would ever root for. It's simply acknowledging the reality of what you see. You know, you see the books for these uh, ATP 250s. They are just taking baths in these events. And like right. for them to not have an event, that's everything. For them to be able to come back the next year for a lot of these tournaments, that's just not financially feasible. And so you're already going to lose 250s, 500s from uh, pro- hopefully not 500s, but possibly 250s in locations. And yeah, new bidders may emerge, but uh, there's absolutely going to be a hit. And you look for these challenger tour events. It's just okay. You want increased prize money. Where does that prize money come from? And the answer that is so clear to everyone who watches is a pooling the data rights, which is really imp- important, and that's why it's great. The ATP, uh, the ATP, and Gaudenzi have come out and said that's what we want to do because we all know that's where the money comes from. The data and the gambling—that is the secret, uh, you know, golden spoon that feeds everything in tennis. Um, but outside of an increased revenue share, outside of the ATP Tour saying, yes, take 20% of the Grand Slams off, give it to the Challenger Tour, give it to the ITF, short of the top players and the Slams and all of the entities agreeing to that, I just don't see what the fix could be for these Challenger Tour players. And because they don't see a commitment from that, again, this is all last last thoughts on the ATP Player Council politics. Because these players don't see that, I think that's why the appetite for the PTPA will be there, even though, to your point, they've done a horrible job organizing. Like, I'm, call a spade a spade. They have been horrible thus far making clear what they stand for. I just know they stand for not the status quo, which is something, but that's it. I mean, look, they are they are soaking up, and this is obviously very much a, like this uh, parallel of many political movements in the world right now. Um, yeah. uh, but they're very much soaking up, you know, atmospheric frustration with anything. I think I said this on anti-institutional. Your show before. Anti-institutional. Yeah, anti-institution or just like yeah. I'm just not happy with something in the way the tour is yeah. focused right now. PTPA says, "Come on board, we got you," and they're offering, you know, a shoulder to sort of cry on. Uh, if not actually, you know, plant or anything real. And, and you know, a- ATP has done a, I think, a good job to, to put a, you know, a qualitative statement on it on redistributing a lot of prize money during this time and reorganizing the payout structure at the tour events, much more than WTA has done. Like you see, for, and I think this is good because I think hazard pay, honestly, and just the inconvenience of traveling and quarantining and all these things and testing and whatnot putting more money people who show up in the early rounds and less money in the later rounds. I think like Bear C's prize money as it stands now, Champ last year got like 900000 something, and then this year gets like 300000 So that's going way down, mm-hmm. whereas the early rounds are staying about the same. I think that's generally good. I mean, I, you know, longer, different topic for a different podcast. I think tennis should completely throw out prize money. 
and just do salaries of some kind and or bonuses yeah. or something. Universal but, basic income based exactly. on your ranking at the start of the year. Yeah. Or even like quarterly income. Like you can do it wherever you want to do it. Um, yeah, I think there's there's better ways to do it than they do it now and and we will uh we'll we'll see from there. I think um yeah. I have the names by the way. It's Murray FAA, John yeah. Millman, and Jeremy Shardy. Which is a collection of nice boys. Those are nice boys. That's a, and by the way, to sneak FAA in there, I know the cool thing, and to anyone selling FAA stock because they'd rather adjust their profile to reflect the Sid man, I'll buy it up from you. I'll take it. At, you're shorting it. Give it to me. It is the long-term investment. I don't care if you're 0-6 in finals at age 20. If you've made six finals by age 20, you have my attention. If you've done it on three different surfaces as well, you absolutely have my attention. But... Look, if the point of the PTPA ultimately, if they are acceptable with, hey, we're trying to just put some pressure on the player council to make these adjustments, because you're right, the ATP has been very responsive, in particular over this past month, month and a half, and trying to get aggressive and trying to get in front of the narrative, and absolutely, that has to do with the PTPA being formally announced, but I mean... You gobble up Murray, Nadal, and Federer as the face of your player accounts. You have a bunch of other young players on there as well, like the FAAs of the world. You have a Millman. You have a Chardia, Kevin Anderson. I, 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 look, Vashik Pospisil has an open invitation to come on here and tell me what the PTPA stands for. But until I see a formal document, some sort of just manifesto or some sort of just, hey, here's our strategic outline for what we hope to accomplish within this sport. And even if it's, you know, challenger tour centric or making it better for life for the players ranked between 200 and 500, that's where the opportunity is. That's where the gap in what causes are being fought for lies and you know, short of that, I, I really don't know what the PTPA is fighting for. No. Yeah. Manifestos are not yeah. hard to write. I mean, just like it uh, should come from the from the heart or from, from your or bile or something. I mean, if you have this many feelings, yeah, just put it out somewhere and organize it. So that's, that's a goal for them to get 2020. Hire a PR person. Obviously, Nova has the money to do that. Just do it. Yeah, I'm just going to throw this out there. My senior year heading into the club tennis season, 22 pages single-spaced on how we were going to end the season national champions. Now, there were some hiccups along the road, but we did end the season as national champions. So if you need a manifesto writer or two, you know where to find me. Now, Benjamin Thomas, your next storyline for me. Okay, so we covered a lot of bases here. Um, I have two more. One is really small. I'll leave it for last, um, but but Beautiful. really important in the same way. But the next one is going to be one of the events that got canceled for the remainder of this season, or the remaining part of this calendar, which got very little attention, uh, is Davis Cup. Mm-hmm. Davis Cup got canceled uh, in what would have been its second iteration of being the sort of World Cup in one place in Madrid. The PK Cup, right? PK Cup, as they call it. That got canceled months ago with like mm-hmm. nary, nary a ripple right and yeah. in, in this part like of the that. calendar that was still going and it uh, does like does pk cup or davis cup or whatever we want to call it like fully collapse and this is more probably more of a 2021 story like does it come back at any point like was did they lose so much money in 2019 running it the way they did it and having all the big players there and paying the players big appearance fees to show up and getting like no attendance at all um, even Zero. though I think it, I think it was actually like a, I really like the format actually, but they got like the players bought in um, TV kind. Of, it was got really bad TV coverage in the U.S. Though I remember it was like wasn't on Tennis Channel, um, and then it was like on like Fox Sports Eight or something, and they only showed U.S. matches yeah. or something, and that was rough. But um, does that bubble does that fully collapse? Like because 
that was such a big swing that they took. And I think the idea of um, Davis Cup people are actually like, just from a purely PR perspective, are like a little bit grateful. I'm sure they didn't have to, they had an, they had an excuse for not having this year's tournament because if they would have even come back this year, I don't know. I think they just like, I think that was a, a big flop. And how does that affect ITF and President Dave Haggerty if it does fall apart and if the money doesn't show up that was promised? It was all the, the support for this at the ITF. I was at the ITF general meeting in Orlando mm-hmm. uh, where they had the vote for this. And it was all based, it was all carried by the smaller countries who were told they were getting lots of money you know your montenegros mm-hmm. your ugandas whoever else was showing up to this this meeting uh we're all saying you know we're gonna get money for this and this is help develop country tennis in our country which is fantastic a perfectly reasonable reason to vote for this um so it does do the check start bouncing early and then similarly um not that it's not a, not a pk situation but uh with the fed cup switching to the bjk cup does that that was supposed to happen this year for the first time in Budapest, uh, there's all sorts of different dramas going on in Hungarian tennis right now. Not that anyone's as up on the Hungarian tennis gossip as I, for some reason, am. But like, they've had lots of different issues there. Obviously, they had the the screw up. People, you might remember the Budapest tournament this year before mm-hmm. everything even started going haywire with the pandemic. The Budapest tournament already fell off the grid on its on its own accord. They didn't have a location to play it. Uh, so Hungary's messy. Will they get their act together for BJK Cup? next april i guess um i hope so and 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 third cup in here AT, atf does itf make any ground on their pledge to hopefully find a new home for hotman cup which is uh one year uh this is the first year without hotman cup 2020 uh and so will uh it find a home because i think it was a very popular event among the tennis hipster nerds as we introduce ourselves yeah, at the, beginning no. of the show yeah and i for the record i Great storyline. This was not one I would have mentioned off the top of my head, but I absolutely think this needs to be discussed because we say it all the time here, and it was something that we noticed at the beginning of this pandemic. There was a lot of experimenting with the format. A lot of different things tried. Obviously, the Ultimate Tennis Showdown, whatever Patrick Mortelou mm-hmm. is doing, is a big one. And I mentioned it uh, kind of jokingly, but Noah Rubin trying the Behind the Racket series. That's obviously something that is going to take notice. And we saw various expeditions, whether, or ex- expeditions, expeditions and exhibitions, <laughs> such as, you know, the Isner Atlanta Cup, right? That was a thing for a brief second. Uh, yeah. Or just, you know, we obviously all miss Laver Cup this year, or whether it be ATP Cup, which, as you mentioned a lifetime ago, Hopman Cup, Davis Cup, Fed Cup, all of these different team uh, competitions. One would think, given that I think it's fairly obvious the way to do this is regional tours, why not experiment a little bit? Why not have some fun? Why not say, you know what, all of the tennis for the first two weeks of February, we're going to do what we did with the Davis Cup. We're going to try that again. We're going to have these small events, team competitions. Let's try that one more time. They have all fallen to the wayside. Do you think it's just because the money's not there? I think it's money, and I think it goes more to the the lack of organization and cohesion in tennis, right? Yeah. Like, this is something which I, and I don't follow the sport that carefully, but what I heard Formula One did this year is they basically, once the pandemic hit, they just basically, like, blew up their whole calendar and just, like, in their whole point system and everything yeah. and just, like, rebuilt it to be pandemic-proof or to make it accompany this. And tennis mm-hmm. has really so clearly failed to do anything like that. They, they changed the ranking system, which allowed players like Ash Barty to stay on the bench completely. Um, but they haven't really done anything in terms of like reimagining how the sport can look or how the sport can be structured. They're still playing 
single elimination tournaments in different cities every week in different countries and that's it's just so uninspired and so i would love yes if there were something like tennis island somewhere put it in indian wells for four months put it wherever else you know for some length of time you could do things like hold your davis cups there your your hopman cups there your uh uts is there like you can throw every different kind of wrinkle and format at these players if they're all in the same place and you know doing that and and some players might not opt in some players might not want to be stuck in the same place for months at a time um you know away from their families especially if it's a different time zone who knows where we pick this place to be but yeah just like we'll be interested to see there's a different sort of topic but like will any of the changes from your utrs from your Mm -hmm. whatever else is catch on and actually be uh the norm like i haven't heard like um I've been watching. I have not been. I have not been watching a ton of these European indoor events. I haven't heard any fake crowd noise, mm-hmm. um, so I'm wondering if that will catch on. Will be, just like it. Just if the sport will, will learn and, and adjust or, or or not. And and I think that the imperative is for them to do that in this in 2021. Uh, but I'm not seeing a lot of uh, signs that like the sport is actually meaningfully adapting, which is which is frustrating. Maybe that'll come. No, this... but it's not there yet. This is why we spent 20 minutes on the politics, and a lot of it was ATP po- politics-centric. And, I, uh, you know, with all, I think the WTA Player Council, I just think they're more well-respected. I think they have their shit together in a way the ATP Player Council, at least slightly better uh, than the ATP Player Council. There seems to be more communication uh, amongst the WTA than it just – or maybe it's just these men what, are so petty what, what, that well, they're just yeah. willing to come out and speak out all the time. I think it's more that. I think it's more that the WTA leadership – uh, your Steve Simons, Nikki Lawler, yeah. uh, they have the respect of their players more than yes. the ATP players. And I think that a lot of this does go with men in tennis being, and this is, I think, arguably a change over the last several decades. Maybe it wasn't always this way, but just being notably whinier and notably just like more, not to say this, maybe it's always been this way, but like definitely more entitled and just always feeling they deserve more, more, more. Whereas the women, and I guess it maybe it could be said, I don't want to get into this too much, but other workplaces, the women are just kind of more grateful for what they have and not wanting to rock the boat or not feeling too uh, greedy. And maybe they could stick up for themselves more in certain areas for sure. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a big divide in terms of how those player councils operate and how they're talked about and how the women talk about the tour. Like basically almost nobody uh, when uh, – we're discussing PTBA with the uh, at the U.S. Open uh, when it was in the news. Nobody on WTA was like, "We need this," right? Lots of men were like, "Yeah, we need this." You know, screw the ATP; they don't have our backs. They're not looking out for X, Y, Z, and I'm mad at this and this and this. The women were all like, uh, "WTA has been cool by me, thanks." Like, you yeah. know, and so maybe that's just a more effectively run tour, maybe. And it does. I think also the leaks I mentioned too. WTA does not leak like ATP does. Uh, so that's another sign of respect for the tour. I mean, look at like again, the current American political administration. I don't think constant leaking is the sign of a, of a well-run ship. I don't think <laughs> anyone would think that. So just in terms of how you handle your own business, not in terms of what you're doing as a product or whatever governance. But um, there's a lot of discontent at ATP for sure, and, and and yeah. So that's gonna will that mellow? Yeah. Will that will that fizzle out? Will they realize like, look, guys, especially if like PTPA doesn't deliver, like will they sort of be i don't know more careful what they have 
knows? Yeah, no, the divides between these camps have never been more pronounced than they are right now. And the reason we talk about all of this is because it is going to take an immense amount of coordination, not only amongst players and tournaments, but all these various federations with various local safety and health government, uh, local safety and health officials uh, to have a 2021 season because we all now understand what it's going to take for us to operate in the midst of a global pandemic, at least with some modicum of safety and health in mind. And uh, with that, you know, we got kind of lucky. You know, the U.S. Open, the French Open, uh, they have the resources to put together these events to host these sorts of affairs. And even then, there were people testing positive, and there were instances where things could have gone horribly wrong. Of course, it was incorrect in the moment, but the fact that all of tennis Twitter was so ready to believe that 20 people had tested positive in Sardinia last week, Christ. that speaks— No, and, and again, I'm, we're not. it was a reprehensible incident. More often than not, we could do five minutes right now— Ben probably on journalistic ethics, and I'm sure some people would be like, "Lol, uh, Ben Rothenberg talking about journalistic ethics." Sorry, I have to talk. I had to throw that joke in. Sorry, it was on the table. You're in outstanding. Your ethics, Ben. You set a role model for oh all of gosh. us who thank want you. to follow. Thank you, thank you so yeah. much. I certainly Anyways. have never gotten anything as wrong as that. Um, and yeah, it was wrong. No. Period. In terms of fact reporting, yeah, that was that was that was very stupid. And I, yeah. I also I, just, but, I think that's it, more than. Whatever ethics question, I think it's more of a, of a question of who gets to count as a journalist in that situation. Yes, I very, very much agree with you there. But the point being, everyone being so willing to believe that, it speaks to the f- nature of these events. They're like, you know what, we're going to host it, and if we get through it, f- it. And it's it was, just like, yeah. it's worked, but you can't have that as the mindset moving forward when you've had this much time to prepare. Also, it speaks to the gullibility of of tennis twitter which my god i've <laughs> sure. seen on so many occasions yeah it, Dar- it's not Darko the best grancharoff first and foremost among them. um <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, i have one more by the way that's a nice line. throwback oh thank oh, you perfect because i have i have two more quick ones for you but you uh you want to go you want to alternate alternate, alternate okay, mine's real really quick. small but okay but you but you go but you go first yes. and I'll, I'll, I'll okay so last one and it's semi-serious and i know for our crossover cracked rackets no challenging remainings fans they probably heard your conversation with ken solomon i think it came out right i'm not yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. that came, came out, out already. Out. yeah yeah it came out and obviously ken solomon head of tennis channel the big news the uh tennis channel securing the rights for all atp events in the united states starting in 2021 and moving forward all atp events outside of the slams excuse me so yeah. masters 500s 250s all going to be carried on tennis channel tennis channel now going to have booths on site they're probably going to expand their on-site coverage hopefully that'll include some of us here over on the tennis channel podcast now work that's a story that i'll be monitoring certainly down the home stretch here of 2020 i think you fans should as well uh but just your thoughts on tennis channel securing those broadcasting rights what it means for uh the atp tour in the united states and what it means to the broader scene uh context for the globe look very happy for tennis channel um a lot of Respect what they do and how they're in their evangelizing of tennis. I can relate to a lot. The, the, in terms of like the people saying things about you know on Twitter, sidebar. The one that people get the most is like, "Oh, you hate tennis." Like, okay, yeah. what? what is that? Like, what about any? What? How does that anyway? Um, yeah. So I, I'm very pro tennis channel. Being able to absorb into tennis and all that stuff is, is great. I think the big and I had Ken on the show, and as a and, and Ken obviously is very excited about this and and very much believed in his product and, and obviously big ups his own brand right which fair mm-hmm. enough but i think the real question and concern for this and if you could ever get anybody at aspn to actually do this which i don't think you would be able to get on record certainly not on a podcast that's a major like voice altering 
uh, is someone more for ESPN on why they let all this tennis go. That's mm-hmm. the bigger concern for tennis in the U.S. for sure is about why tennis, why ESPN has had these what we think of as being the biggest tour properties, at least for an American fan, which right, which Indian Wells fifth slam. Miami recently considered fifth slam in the nineties and early two thousands. Cincinnati, which is a big U S open lead up event during that sort of hot period for tennis in the U S between Wimbledon and and the U S open. And then uh, also Canada Mm -hmm. similarly in there, uh, the fourth of those four, but still in there. Um, And the ESPN just decided those events weren't worth their trouble is concerning as a tennis as, and, and obviously, and I was thinking about this this week too, like, look, I'm not someone, I don't get paid by ESPN or by Tennis Channel or by the ATP or anybody. Like, if they make less money, it's honestly not really directly affecting me. I, should, I shouldn't feel so upset on their behalf. Like, that's your money, your <laughs> issues. You're not paying my bills on any level. Um, I do draft, obviously, covering the sport. You know, it's, it's good to have a healthy sport people care about. Um, but, uh, and I'm rooting for tennis in that respect. But, yeah, it, it's it's concerning that, that ESPN wants so much less tennis. That's... Mm-hmm. A big headline they pretty much only want the three grand slams now they have they have, they have australia they have uh wimbledon and they have us open and that's it for them and that's a big reduction i remember back in the day i you know remember when they used to cover lots more they used to cover uh, like gosh even like small events that you probably don't remember like amelia island used to be on espn which was a wta tier two event back in the day and Charleston was the one. They had a little green clay swing that would get a lot of coverage on. How about the, just the entire yeah. U.S. Open Pro Series was always yeah. on ESPN US, my US, entire life. The U.S. Open Series, exactly. Um, yeah. U.S. Open Series, yeah, which was Atlanta and Leg uh, Mason. How many times even, did I see that? They might even had Atlanta Mason like graphic. this year. Yeah, yeah, Leg Mason, yeah. exactly. That was my home tournament for sure. New Haven, they would hold Winston Salem. I think would occasionally get onto ESPN or even CBS. Gosh, CBS would show mm-hmm. Winston Salem occasionally. Um, and now, and now NBC is. The only network that has any footprint in tennis now, in terms of well, actually that's not true. Cause I think the ABC might show some Wimbledon at some point. So maybe like a re-air or something. They do something with, with the crossover simulcast of ESPN and ABC. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but this is like, and the question is for tennis. I mean, like we are obviously tennis hipsters, tennis nerds, whatever you want to call us, very much preaching to acquire on this episode, especially as we're like you know over the hour mark in this episode. If you <laughs> you, you care about tennis, if you're still here. Um, but the question is, how does the sport grow, right? If it's not getting out of any kind of foot traffic and I, you know, maybe they're just thinking it's better to have deep support among a few people than wide support among more. And that seems to be what they're, they're doing, but losing Which a footprint on ESPN is, 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 is rough. And I also know, and as much as ESPN, and we're talking like your sports centers, you're around the horn mm-hmm. PTI, as much as I don't really care about tennis on those sort of platforms at all whatever it was is about to get less right because they'll never have yeah. leading coverage from you know i'm sure if they like were just switching live from serena winning a match at indian wells to sports center or something yeah. right they would have like at least talked about that a little bit and now that that won't mm-hmm. be there so i i think this is uh it's it worries me making tennis a destination thing it worries me anytime you go off of uh regular linear tv on to just streaming I, I think then mm-hmm. you become you, you lean into your niche and uh, I think that's uh and especially the time in tennis when we're we're seeing the 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 ends of the of you know final late late chapters let's say in the careers of your Federer Nadal Venus Serena Murray probably like you're you know if. Yeah, I don't know. It's I don't no. Know. And, and, I, and you can see the ratings are way down at the U.S. Obviously, everything's way down now. But like, 
even the semifinal ratings for the men, like those your boys in that semifinal, your 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 Shit. young children, they did not pull numbers they whatsoever. Did not at so all. yeah, so I'm, I it all just uh, yeah. As as Tiffany New York Pollard once says, it it it, it nervouses me. <laughs> yeah, a, a couple of things I would add. I think the broader context for Disney is relevant they are struggling across the board obviously in the midst of COVID-19 and we see ESPN it's not just cuts they're making in terms of tennis it's across the board it's producers it's digital it's just you know all of these various cuts they are making they're condensing the ship they are just trying to streamline hey what are the big ticket items let's try and get as many of those as possible let's make that our brand we are big ticket items we are synonymous with that obviously this is a decision expressing tennis is not a big ticket item outside of the grand slams and you know for the standard tennis fan that's not any news but you sort of framed it in a fascinating way and again i love tennis channel being a part of the tennis channel podcast network is the ultimate pleasure for this podcast um you know I, all of those disclaimers i'm uh, again to, for anyone who thinks i don't like watching a match on tennis channel lol would i be here if i didn't absolutely not oh my gosh but yeah. to narrow the base I just don't like that decision. Like, I hate what that says about our sport. It's like, hey, let's cater to the tennis fans only. Let's not remain on a broader network. And it does feel worth remembering, you know, World Team Tennis set records with their, what was it, 500,000 or almost a million during the World Team Tennis Finals, and they have a new deal with CBS Sports. And so, you know, there are still, again, little bits and pieces where tennis does appear here and there, but... It's concerning that the number one provider in sports, ESPN, is like, eh, we're good on the non-Grand Slam stuff. Like, again, thrilled for tennis. You know, I think they're going to be able to do some really good things, but that's concerning. Like, there was a line in the story that Matt Futterman wrote for the Times about the deal, and we I had known about this through him for a while. I knew this was coming. But, mm-hmm. like, the line that struck me was where they were saying, I, I think you retweeted it, was like, it was a problem when a tennis match in Cincinnati would run long and interfere with coverage of the Little League World Series. Yeah. Like, I love the Little World Series. I remember especially the year that Monet Davis was pitching. It was a big story being in yeah, Cincinnati during that, and that was, like, a cool thing to be part of. I'm sure they did get better ratings in tennis that year. But just, like, gosh, like, this, this again goes to, I think, PTPA, right? Like, you you boys, you know, and, and men on the Challenger Tour, um, <laughs> stop whining about not getting paid and start selling, right? Yeah. Start figuring out ways to make the sport bigger. Don't ask – Ask not what your sport can do for you. Ask what you can do for your sport. You know, like as yeah. as whichever president said that. I think JFK. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, yes, correct. Uh, ask not. Ask not what you can do for you. For ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. That was a very Jewish JFK. Voice we right choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not yeah. because they are easy, but because they are hard. Anyways, go on. That was honestly, again, like the most Yiddish-sounding JFK I've ever heard. That was, that was tremendous. I loved every second of that. Um, no, but really, really, um, yeah. these guys got to grow the sport. There's just like you, you got to step up. You got to be a team player. And I just see so little of that. I think tennis is so poorly built for that sort of spirit. Uh, ATP, especially, I guess. Uh, you know, they're all they're all at they all think they're big deals and some ways they are and some ways they aren't right and when they have to take you off the air at a master's event so they can show children's baseball you are no longer a big deal nor should you think you are and i say this again as somebody with nothing but love for tennis but like get over yourselves tennis 
No, it, it, you have to get more marketable in local communities. I think college tennis programs are feeling that as well. That's why the ITA keeps stressing get in your community. For all these tennis players, it's how do you get in? Yeah, the local fans, the local clubs, how do you get them buying into where they're not just playing, but now they're watching you as well because we have learned, and it's some superficial statistics, but more people are playing tennis right now than ever. It's one of those few things you can actually do during a global pandemic. Capitalize on that if you're the sport. And it's very easy to say to go do it, but... You know, there are a lot of smart people out there with a lot of interesting plans, and the lack of coordination continues to make that impossible. So, again, I just wanted to hear your thoughts on that decision. Yeah. I have yeah, I have one more for you. I know you have one more storyline for me. Obviously, I want to let the guests go first. So, give me your last storyline to watch down this home stretch. I know it's a fun one. Well, look, I mean, as we know— there's a, only a handful of tournaments left on the tour this year. We're going to go to some new places too. Some new places popping up on the on the calendar that haven't been there. Most notably, I think, is Nur Sultan, Kazakhstan, getting its first crack of tour level action, uh, hosting the ATP 250 event there. And my question here uh, is: Does Sasha Bubbles, aka government name Alexander Bublik, uh, does he win Nur, Nur Sultan? How does he respond? As you know, Kazakhs are the ultimate sort of like no, players out of country. That's... Getting getting a home mm-hmm. event for them, and also I said this is he obviously adores Nick Kyrgios and really styles himself after Nick Kyrgios, right? Kyrgios always had his best in Australia um, in terms of discipline and everything. Do you think it's come together? Does Sasha Bubbles win Nur Sultan? That's my that's my so, question. That is a very important I... question to my tour. There was I think it was plus. Uh, it was like. Uh, 150 to 1 odds you could get Sasha Bublik on a website to qualify for the year-end finals after what he had an upset right early on in St. Petersburg I think he upset a seed in the first match I don't remember who it was and it was like if he wins every match for the rest of his season he would qualify for the year-end finals and it was like 150 to 1 and I was like this would be the yeah he'd have to win Paris he'd have to win like all of these events back to back and back to just accumulate enough points because it's still 2020 centric right so on 20 20 numbers he would have had I think just barely enough but then he ended up losing anyways he's out of contention now that was a scenario I was rooting for because yeah Sasha Bublik is just Nick Kyrgios with a worst press agent uh the guy is just out there hitting big serves going underhand being creative doing all of these different things okay uh, he's, he's Nick Kyrgios with a worse ranking like <laughs> Nick Kyrgios has way more big wins in his career made yeah. three slam quarters or whatever True. And then Sasha Bublik does not have any of that, but I still, you know, think he's good TV. No, great way. story. I agree. He's one of those guys who is captivating. You're like, what is this guy going to do next? He's just as likely to hit a random on the run forehand slice as he is to slap a winner down the line. And so I think he is one of the guys. It's funny you say that because my last topic, I have a rapid fire edition of players I think are interesting through this last month of the season. You can literally just straight up say yes or no uh, was the philosophy. Obviously, feel free to add any color you'd like. You want to if that sound good to you? Is this going to be as completely is this going to age as poorly as your players to watch for the u.s open picks did because that was a disaster they did it okay first of all they were all players wow to i really remember was... arena sabalenka's u.s open said everyone who she lost to vika azarenka second round and who vika by the way made the finals so would, yeah that was one it would of those have been, would have been great points. if you picked vika yeah you're right <laughs> you did not you picked sabalenka yastremska who also lost second round to brengel but, but fired Sasha Bajin. That was a must-watch. That, that was, was a must-watch. You got bonus points for that, and then you picked four people for your third pick. 
Contave of... Mertens. Yeah. <laughs> Sakari, who was the fourth one? And Yeah, and then and then uh Vekic, who yeah, that, one, that one was bad. Not your best. Okay, so I look forward to this being a better list. Yes. Well, I stand by Annette Conteve. I think that was a good one. Um, all right. I'm going to throw just a couple of names out there. And I know we've all seen enough of him at this point. But if I gave you 20 to 1 odds on Andre Rublev to win the year-end championships, would you take that bet? I would have to see who shows up. Because yeah. um, I would have to see the field. Because okay. if Nadal goes, um, that's a big if. Uh, also, another that actually could have been one of my storylines too. Will Nadal, having not yeah. played, because normally Nadal really fizzles this time of year, right? He's never won Bercy, he's never won London or the World Tour Finals in any location. Will mm-hmm. Nadal, now that he's more rested theoretically, uh, actually contend at these events for like the first time? I know mean, he's made like a Finals, World Tour Finals or something before, but generally this is the time of year he really does not play his best at all. Yeah. Um, and this is a big sort of it's a big knock against him in the sort of more multidimensional goat debate, right? That he, mm-hmm. the no world tour final stands out as being a unique weakness of his among the big four, mm-hmm. uh, in titles and the no bear C holds him back from, from jokey modding, which he's uh, several tournaments away from doing because of, uh, he's never won Shanghai. I believe he's never won Paris. Bear C has never won Miami. Miami is the weird one because he mm-hmm. made like four or five Miami finals. But, uh, yeah. and, and the one that's weird is they actually won Cincinnati because it's a tournament he's not good at, but he did win it that one right in the year. Uh, but otherwise, mm-hmm. been pretty trash there. That's a si- complete sidebar. Rublev. Um, I just think 20, he's so. I just think he, right now this guy's fifty on fire. to one. Sure, twenty. <laughs> nah, no. I'll say getting no. a little. Low. Who do you like more right now, him or Medvedev, heading into twenty twenty one? Oh, Rublev. Obviously, Medvedev's not doing much. Medvedev's That's not what doing I'm saying. Much. I mean, Rublev, the conversation for him, he has been so impressive. I would also love to see Denis Shapovalov hop into uh, that into that year-end finals just to see how he can compete indoor hard courts. He's always fun. But all right, now the names are going to get a little bit spicier, I promise. Uh, let's go Francis Tiafo. I am right now all in on the Tiafo bandwagon. I think his partnership with Wayne Ferreira has paid dividends in the uh, you know immediately. I think the forehand still on average looks the same but it's the discipline he seems to be playing with it's the focus he seems to be playing with the fact that it's now you know instead of every third shot a slice or trying to move forward and make the match funky he understands hey physically I am more gifted than 99% of the players I'm playing if I can make the match a long match if I could just hang in there I'm gonna have a chance to win I think he you know he just won a challenger as well he's inching back towards the top 50 he's one to watch closely for me Super, super impressed by Tiafo winning the Parma Challenger. Uh, Parma, notably the city whose cheese now sponsors Yannick Center. So into that whole synergy <laughs> where they have happening here with Next Gen and, and Parma. Uh, yeah, I, I am a fan. Yeah, obviously, I hope I hope Tiafo gets it together. We want him to be a relevant player, uh, and this was a big step towards that. Yeah, and you're right. He's he is absolutely. Uh, someone who can out physical those guys and just i think parma is such a great t- challenger to have won because you're playing against like real like clay specialists in a clay situation in their country a lot of italian guys who know what they're doing out there and he did lose in a pre-french open challenger in italy to uh, lorenzo mazzetti man of the month but uh i, I do think <laughs> that uh yeah that was a really positive sign i'm not sure what am i buying stock into what was the phrasing here i i, I think i think 
I say good job, Francis. Is my answer? Is that an answer? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't well, know. No, what... it's more like will you? Be... It's it, yes, one to watch. Yes or no? Yes, you'll watch him closely. Yeah, 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 yeah. He he he, he yeah. definitely he definitely and he just won today as we're recording this over Lajevich, mm-hmm. I believe, in Antwerp. I think those are words mm-hmm. that make sense together. Uh, yep. So yeah, so it's uh, so good for him. And yeah, I. I yeah, I hope that he's on a, on a good trajectory here because uh, there have been ups and downs for sure, and he's run hot and cold mm-hmm. at different times in his th- young career. All right. Yeah, last one on the men's side. I'm going to throw some Spanish names at you. You tell me if you think any of them end up in the top ten during their careers. We'll just oh, go God. one by okay. one. Davidovich Fokina, yes or no? Uh, see, I don't know. I haven't seen enough of these guys, and you're probably going to say Alcaraz yeah. too, right? So, like, <laughs> uh, I have stronger feelings about Alcazar than Alcaraz. You don't know who Alcazar <laughs> is, but that's fine. Um uh i will send you some yeah. links afterwards uh they're spectacular i but, appreciate um, that yeah uh, i'm just saying the next i don't gen- know i don't know him, i mean like i just think i just martinez, think it's like look him, okay. martinez portero munar you know uh carl uh who else am i forgetting obviously carlos alcaraz i believe you could have carlos Taberner in there as well there is mm. a next generation of spanish players that's not going to be as good as generation Nadal, but they are certainly on the rise uh uh how may I help you? Munar broke my heart in uh, French Open qualities two years ago because he he was down a couple match points against Ducky Lee and then came back and won. Uh, so that was sad. Uh, as, a, as, a, as a Ducky uh, evangelist that I am, um, uh, well, I I'm not going to confidently put any of them in the top ten. But I yeah I it, it's just way too early to know. I mean, like I that's not I don't know. Pass. Yeah, no. I, I mean, yeah, conscience is objector to that question. I don't yeah, like that's that fair. And again, the problem on the women's side is there's only two tournaments left, right? At least yeah. At the I, I gotta say this, this whole episode. This was a very ATP centric episode because it's about what was going to happen the rest of 2020, mostly. Yeah. And I just, I just don't think much women's tennis is going to happen in 2020. I forgot that Linz was still happening. Um, mm-hmm. But that's like there's like a two week break between Ostrava and Linz. Uh, by the way, okay, here's a, here's a question: Will Ostrava be exciting enough as a tournament to justify those three exclamation points they have on the court? You seen that? That's that was my that's, final that's, question. That's oh. spectacular. I love that. You just that. missed it. So what makes me so angry is the way I was going to end this interview, and now I I want to end it. I'll have to end it a different way. It was I was going to say, Ben, this podcast was so good, I would put three exclamation points at the end of it. That was going to be my final joke well, you for you as a that. reference I mean, to you can still Ostrava. say that. Yeah, no, that's good. The the thing is so good it has three exclamation points might be the title of this podcast because, yeah, it's uh, – I mean, on a side note – the answer is yes to your question. Have you seen the draw in Ostrava? It is Good. just it's out, it's out of this world. I mean, Sakari Svitolina is a round of 16 match. Shabur Sturzkova first round. Ostapenko Martic, you know, that's that's probably Shabur Sturzkova, that's, that's good stuff. That is good stuff. Anisimova Mertens first round. Kontave Alexandrova first round. You have my attention, Ostrava. And yes, throw those three check marks on the end. Now, I tweeted this out as well. Is there any tournament you could add three check marks to the end of the name? Which would you pick? Exclamation points, first of all, not check marks. Yeah, exclamation points. So oh, they are check exclamation points. <laughs> so they are, you know, as, hey, as you, job. as you, uh, yeah. Um, okay. Uh, what tournament deserves exclamation points? That's a good question. Uh, yeah. Is it a good question? I'm not sure it's a good question, but I, I, I'm going to answer it anyway. Um, <laughs> I look. I like. I really like the weird tournaments. Like I, the little, like the little tournaments that could. 
obviously like the ones that are mockingly called slam you know like baku slam back in the day or, yeah. or tashkent slam or bogota mm-hmm. slam all wta events um ones that just like don't really fit ones that just like are just kind of underdog tournaments that you're rooting for like when there was that tournament kuala lumpur the week before indian wells people were like why what no and but <laughs> you, you root for that you want tennis to succeed in unlikely places you're just like a little like little spoke of grass that grows out from the side of a, a volcano yeah. you, you wanted to see it to see it bloom that's so, why the choice is obvious it's got to be the new york open because the only way it gets better is with that's a good pick points. that's a good pick <laughs> that, that is that is a term that is a that is an underdog for sure yes yeah. Ooh, alexandrova contavite went eight six in the third set breaker that's a good, yeah, good match. that's why she's one of my most interesting to watch always i stand by the take but anyways i also stand by the fact that this is a three exclamation point podcast and of course that is the sort of content you are always producing ben i recently you know took a peek at the twitter profile senior editor at racket magazine is that a new title no i had that for a couple of years i was i was reconfiguring what was i trying to reconfigure in there something i was changing something in the, in the fan in the of thing. eurovision or the flyers probably one of those editions yeah i, I definitely no, I, added, I don't I, have I, it memorized i just i, I think at it i think i think i added flyers i think i subtracted ikea let's look at yours by the way yours is the more interesting <laughs> one for this while we're here since you brought up twitter profiles <laughs> at oh, great shot pod um let's 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 make your i think your listeners of this podcast would agree that you are a human who deserves Eh, to have the twitter presence of a human right so you you're the name alice grushkin at great shot pod picture great shot pod if you want to make it a show podcast we have one of those too for ncr but it's not called ben rothenberg at ncr underscore tennis um and there's this and there's this like copy editor thing just bugs me every time where you say you're a staunch advocate of calling it a big four loves nothing more than a good ad side poach fine uh which is the third person thing and then you're saying yes i podcast which uh, what it should be yes i'm yeah. a podcast if you are a podcast if you're saying you're on twitter <laughs> or it should be love nothing more keep it like consistently first person so like there's just like i've had issues with this you know this i, I would like to see this be better um that's I why you're for- the senior editor and that is why that's my editing you asked me to edit you brought up my editing i will edit for sure that is perfect well for all of our listeners out there who do want to catch some of your more work what can we expect on the home stretch oh gosh i have a bracket feature actually i'm working on uh not too much other tennis writing i think in the near future i mean there's not much tennis happening right now um so yeah we'll see i am on standby for when the san query verdict comes out that will write about that but um i do not have a sense of when that will be um that's definitely one of the stories to watch, as I said during the show. Um, yeah, that's about it. Uh, how about you? Mm-hmm. What do you got cooking? Well, as our listeners know, and they'll hear in the intro outro, they can find all of our content, crackedrackets.com. We've got some fun new video stuff in the work. We're going to try and get a little bit nerdy with it, which fits our brand Ooh. just beautifully. And so we're going to break down some little things. I also... Uh, some one of these days I'm going to write something again. I'm going to get back in the game, but no, I have some things ticking around as well. I just, you know, again, I, I'm looking for a feature. I need to get the sit down with Alex Virov. I feel like we got to be like Alex, Sasha, whatever you want me to call you. Listen, there is no one who's going to write a more glowing feature about you than me. Like, if you're looking for a believer, you've got it here. Now, I'm going to talk about your double faults a little bit for sure. I'm going to talk about the fact that, honestly, you know, you probably could use a haircut. But I'm also going to talk about why I think you've got such upside. 
you lost me there. I think his hair oh. is, is his by far his best feature. He also recently had a haircut. His hair is relatively short right now, as of when. Yeah, he just fl- he flipped it for cologne. It was U.S. Open. It got too much. Uh, see, see, I think I think yeah. that we start with the but, hair being the positive and then work our way down no, from there when we're talking about. See, him. I think the pivot is the shaved head Zverev. He's going to come to like the 2022 Australian Open shaved head, and he's just going to blitz through the draw. Good. I'm glad we got two minutes of zero in at the end here, though. That, that's what Look, I was. Look, okay. I, I, I wish I wish you the best in terms of if you want to, you know, write. A, you know, yeah, we'll talk about this offline. I, I, yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yes, this is a discussion for you and I to have afterwards. But anyways, as always, Ben, it is always a pleasure to have you on the show. We will, I'm sure, continue to speak to you more. Do we do a next gen tier rankings this year? Yes or no? Did enough tennis happen for us to adjust the tiers? I don't know. We might have to get funky with it. No, I don't think enough changed in terms of my perspectives yeah. on anybody. So I'm going to say no. But, I mean, okay. like, look, like, I've I've spent enough time talking about next-gen darling Yannick Sinner, obviously, on every episode, every chance I get. So, um, <laughs> no, I, I think we're okay. Yes. All right. Well, then, with that in mind, obviously, it is always a pleasure. Please continue to bring your precision to Eurovision and everything else you do as well. Ben Rothenberg, take care as always, and thank you for chatting with us today. Thank you very much, Alex. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with Ben. Of course, a huge thank you to him for taking the time to chat. It really always is a pleasure. And, you know, I get grief from some of the people in my cracked racket circle. Why am I such a Ben Rothenberg defender? Because, you know, yeah, of course there's some fluff. And I say this to his face all the time. There are some tweets that you know are out there uh, just to stir the pot. But, you know, for anyone who thinks he doesn't love the game of tennis, for anyone who doesn't think he is the ultimate advocate for the sport, respectfully, you're just incorrect. That is what he wants from the professional tennis world. He wants it to be the best place it can be. He wants it to thrive so that ultimately the sport can thrive. That was the, of course, theme of the conversations. What changes need to be made in tennis? What sorts of things should we be looking for so that the sport can continue to thrive moving forward? Of course, if you want to hear more, read more about his thoughts, go check out his work at the New York Times for Racket Magazine on the No Challenges Remaining podcast. I don't need to tell you where to find Ben's work. You know where to find it. But nevertheless, thank you to him for taking the time to chat. We had a really fun conversation after the podcast as well. Uh, Maybe one of those days, those conversations will be for our Patreon subscribers. I'll see if I can cajole him into letting me use that footage because I suppose it was off the record. But of course, for any of you who are looking for some unfiltered Patreon content, we have another mailbag coming down the pipeline. Uh, You can go join our Crack Rackets family by going to patreon.com slash Cracked Rackets. Of course, you can go get yourself some Cracked Rackets gear as well. I know Ben's got a hat. Ben's got a mug. If it's good enough for Ben Rothenberg, certainly good enough for you. So go check out our Cracked Rackets merchandise store. Uh, And of course, if you have missed any of our content, whether it be French Open recaps, our award show, or any of the more recent uh, goings on on in the professional tennis world, I should say, uh, be sure to go check out our website, CrackedRackets.com. There you can find this podcast, the Mini Break Podcast, Cracked Interviews, and Inside Out podcast which of course as always we will ask you to like rate subscribe review share with your friends you need those more immediate updates twitter instagram facebook youtube we're at cracked rackets you want to message me directly i'm at great shot pod shout out as always to our super producers max fligner and daniel westoff for the
of an editing job they do day in, day out, making all of this content possible. Again, we've got some really fun stuff coming up in the pipelines as well. Our creative, I suppose, team, even though our creative team is the same as all of our other teams, it just sounds cool if I say our creative team, but Jamie McDonald and I in the lab chatting about some of the fun things we think uh, would really help add to the tennis discourse. We're going to start trying to do some of those things here at Cracked Rackets with the help of our interns as well. So, of course, be on the lookout for all of that fantastic content on our website, CrackedRackets.com. And, of course, a reminder, if you want to get in on the action with our friends at DraftKings, take advantage of their limited-time offer. Just go to DKNG.co slash open. But with that in mind, for my wonderful guests, Ben Rothenberg, our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff, our friends at DraftKings, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say? Hey, great shot, and we'll see you all next time. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.